Welcome to another edition of the Tom Green Podcast. As always, we are cracking open a fresh new edition of the show as we are cracking open a fresh new studio for the Tom Green Podcast. As you've seen, if you follow my personal Twitter at TomTV23 as well as the Tom Green Podcast Twitter, we had a move recently. Parents retired and moved away and I had to move somewhere, so I moved to my grandma's, as grandma and grandpa have happily taken me in, and I found a recording studio for the new show. As for the show today, we are doing an NBA Finals preview, as Game 1 is tonight, Thursday, May 30th, Golden State and Toronto, kind of unlikely, but we knew that when LeBron left Cleveland, it was going to be somebody other than the Cleveland Cavaliers. We bring in a man who supports a team that very well could have been in the NBA Finals if it weren't for, let's just say, dumb luck. We bring in Ryan Drinkwater, as I'm drinking Pepsi Zero. Ryan Drinkwater from Philly's finest sports network. Welcome back to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Tom. How you been? I've been doing great, as you know. Moved moved back into a new studio, so you're our first guest in our new digs here. <laughs> in, All right, man. I'm excited and I'm ready to go. Definitely. Out in uh, north-central Michigan, if you want to call it that. <laughs> a Detroit fan and a Philly fan talking some NBA. We will start with kind of circling back to our last show, which was a Sixers-Pistons preview. Which, believe it or not, in that in that specific game, it seemed as if Drummond outdid Embiid. But of course, in the in the actual season, Embiid certainly outdid Drummond. So, final assessment for your Philadelphia 76ers. Did they dis- surprise? Did they disappoint? How is what's the what's the vibe like in Philly coming off of this season? Well, overall, the vibe in Philly, I think, is split down the middle. Um, obviously, we had high hopes for this season with the big additions the team made. Um, adding Tobias Harris in the middle of this season kind of solidified the starting five. That should have been good enough to contend and make it to the NBA Finals. Um, needless to say, they were cut short in dramatic fashion by these Toronto Raptors that are representing the Eastern Conference in tonight's NBA Finals. Um, but all in all, I think for me personally, it was a successful season. Obviously, we would have liked to take that next step, but losing in Game 7 on a last-second shot is few and far in between, so I think you can't be too critical of the overall outcome. But let's just say the, the heat is on in Philly, and depending on how this offseason goes, I think you know Coach Brett Brown, they did decide that they were going to back him, bring him back for another season at least. And, you know, again, the heat is on in Philly, and if they can't get it done next season or if they come out of the gate slow or anything along those lines, I think you could see major changes rather fast. Uh, did you think they made the right decision by keeping Brett Brown? I Honestly, I'm a little torn. I was one of the biggest Brett Brown supporters throughout this whole process. Uh, and then, obviously, like we all know here in Philly, he – makes a lot of boneheaded decisions and it's tough to swallow at times, but I will give credit where credit is, is due. And during this postseason, he definitely stepped up. He coached rather well. Um, he had quite a few minimal mistakes when you look back at last season, when Boston absolutely destroyed them, you know, Brad Stevens out coach Brett Brown, like it was a clinic almost. So, he did improve in a lot of areas, but again, I think the jury is still out. And depending on how this upcoming season goes, you know, he has everything that he needs now. The team that they put together, he only had, you know, less than half a season, less than a quarter season almost to work with the actual new established starting five. So. In that little bit of time, he did well. I think he deserves just a little bit more time with the full group if they can bring them all back. And once that's done, I mean, Tom, he's really out of excuses. They have to yeah. make it 
to the Eastern Conference Finals, at least at a minimum for him to warrant keeping his job. If not, I think it's time for, you know, somebody else to lead this team to the next level. Yeah, and my thought about Brett Brown was that if they were going to get rid of Brett Brown, they should have done it like year three at the start of the process when when Philly fans were just getting irate as, as well. Let's face it, they're irate with Bryce Harper over going 0 for 4 on a, on a random Tuesday night. That's how Philly fans are, at least in my opinion. But if Brett Brown was going to be fired, he should have been fired early. And I think he should have been replaced with who's coaching the Bucks right now, Mike Budenholzer. We saw Budenholzer take a Hawks team that was basically nothing and turn them into a 60-win team for a year. Now, of course, LeBron, just like... Like in Toronto, LeBron was his nemesis, but when LeBron left, it became Budenholzer versus, basically Budenholzer versus the East, and the East won this time with Toronto winning. You see, and I'll get to this a little bit later, but but Toronto's coaching situation has been interesting, but we'll talk about that later. But like I said, Brett, Brett Brown, if he was going to get fired, he should have been fired a lot sooner than this time. You have to believe in who who you start with if you're if you're going this far in the process, and like you had said, with the new lineup, it's been less than a quarter of a year, so he didn't have a lot of time to groom that lineup. He was used to having a United Nations lineup in 2018 and at the, and at the start of 2019. So, right. um, and I'll say this yeah. about Brett Brown. Yeah, I think a big reason that they decided to keep him was again. I mean, he went through the ups, the downs, and all around with that organization. And he really took it and instilled a culture and a passion and a fight and commitment that mirrors what the city of Philadelphia embodies. So mainly, I don't know too many, from what I heard, you know, just in general sports radio in Philadelphia, beat writers, whatever else, it didn't seem like they were that disappointed in the way they lost because of how far the series went. And ultimately, when you look at the coaching candidates, at least who was available, you know, firsthand, there wasn't anybody that was technically better than Brett Brown. So it was more or less, let's just keep what we have because we know we have a solid coach and a solid foundation built. And let's give him just a little bit more room here to see if he can do it. Um, I don't There's other guys that deserve chances around the league, assistant coaches whatever else, but in the, in hindsight, I think Brent is a solid NBA coach, and he deserves at least this final run with him to make sure they can take it to that next level. And if not, I mean, clearly he's done a phenomenal job of developing young players and you know getting these guys playing in a good direction, but he might not be the one to take them over that hump, so... We'll just have to wait and see what next season brings. Definitely. And with let's say Philly and Brett Brown, it's kinda of, it's kind of like a situation with Detroit with the Detroit Lions and Matt Stafford. Green Mike Greenberg said it best, and I'm addressing your point there. Um, is he the best we have now? Maybe not. Is he the best available? Yes. And that's ultimately what Philly decided on Brett Brown as Detroit has with Matthew Stafford. I know we're comparing two different sports here, apples to oranges, but the but the fine the silver lining seems to be very similar. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I could certainly see that. Look, it's mm-hmm. it's just a matter of time. You really have to go off the postseasons, the last two postseasons when you're grading a guy like Brett Brown. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at that, they went. Like I said, they went to Game 7, final, pretty much final possession. Kawhi hits a miracle shot that doesn't go in, I would think, nine times out of ten. When you compare that to how they were bumped by the Celtics the year prior, like I referenced before, Brad Stevens completely outcoached Brett Brown. It wasn't even close. This year was a little bit different, and they did make quite a big difference in how they played, and this, you know, were they 100% healthy? No. You know, the team was new. They were still running through lineups, figuring out what would work best, etc. And they ran into a Toronto team that's probably the best defensive team in the entire NBA. 
So the fact that you pushed them seven games and lose in the fashion you did, I think it would have been a little, a little rough to kind of let him go because of the way that series ended. But again, like the leash with him is beyond short. It's pretty much you have everything you need now. There's no more excuses. You have to go out and get the job done. Definitely. So um, the last one thing I'll ask about Philly, and then I'll kind of focus in on Detroit just a little bit. Do the Sixers make the finals if Kawhi's shot does not go in? Honestly, I think they do. I think they do because, like I said, Toronto is such a defensive juggernaut. The fact that the Sixers were able to play them as well as they did for seven games, and in my opinion, to be quite honest, the games that they lost, they lost not so much because they were outplayed by Toronto, but mistakes that they made. Or Joel Embiid not being 100% healthy. Or Ben Simmons turning the ball over at crucial times of the game. You know, Tobias Harris pretty much going from a 40% three-point shooter in the regular season and dropping down to about 32 31% in the playoffs. I mean, that doesn't happen too often. So, all things considered, I think, yes, if they move past Toronto, Milwaukee was pretty much... One of the teams everybody expected to blow through the East, especially with the way that Giannis was playing. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a whole, they're a solid team top to bottom. But Toronto pretty much exposed them. And I think Philly would have been able to do a lot of the same things that Toronto did to limit Giannis on how he could impact the game. And as far as scoring goes and the level of defense that the Sixers are capable of playing, I think they would have had a really, really good shot at beating Milwaukee and being in the NBA Finals if that shot did not fall. Yeah, Milwaukee seemed like a team that once you got them on the ropes, they they basically fell down and died. The, I guess that's the reason why they're called the Bucks because because when you shoot a buck, <laughs> it runs for a little while and then falls down and dies. Yeah, I mean, they kind of look like... It reminded me of LeBron and that Cleveland team years and years and years ago that just couldn't come out and get it done. I believe it was against Detroit, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there were well, there were a couple years against Detroit, but 2007 is what st- what stands out to me, and I don't need to be reminded of that. But that was when LeBron scored the last like 20 points in Game Four, I think it was, and Cleveland advanced then but Cleveland did have problems with Detroit before then yes right well I think you know honestly it's just for somebody like Giannis to be as good as he was he still he kind of reminds me of Ben Simmons in a lot of ways he still does not have a jump shot I mean he's got a better he's got a better jump shot than Ben Simmons does because he actually shoots the basketball so that, <laughs> that goes without saying um but he doesn't have a he doesn't have a mid range jump shot. He doesn't have a mid range like floater when he attacks. It's either it's all downhill with Jonas. Either he takes it to the rack, or you know he's getting offensive rebounds, putting them right back. He he can shoot it, you know, somewhat average at times. But for the most part, especially in that Toronto series, he was held to pretty much a shell of himself and. You know, I think until until he adds that dimension to his game, kind of like what Ben Simmons has to do, it's it's almost easy to kind of put a big net around a guy like that and force him into situations where he has to rely on his teammates to carry him. And the supporting cast of Milwaukee obviously was not good enough to get it done. Yeah, and at some point, um, if we ever meet in person – we're gonna to have to shoot a video from like a like a like a yard or something like that, a basketball court, and shoot threes and say, "Hey, Ben Simmons, this is how you shoot a three. Yeah, no kidding, man. It's, <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, as far as being a fan of basketball my entire life, um, and being a Philadelphia 76ers fan for the same amount of time, I've never ever have been more frustrated with a player in any sport whatsoever. Not even close when it comes to how frustrated I am with Ben Simmons. It's 
it's outrageous, Tom, to sit and watch mm-hmm. it over and over again, night in, night out. It just frustrates you because the kid has all the potential in the world to be a top five player in the entire league. Every other aspect of his game is there. It's just the fact that he's got a mental block for whatever reason. He will not shoot the basketball when that game tips off. And as a season ticket holder, I get to go down and watch pregame warm-ups an hour and a half before every game starts, every home game. And this kid shoots... And he's got a pretty decent jump shot during warm-ups. He's knocking down mid-range shots. He's even hitting a couple of threes, shooting out of the post. But, again, once that, once that ball goes up and it's real time, it's like I don't even I don't even know what happens. That mental block comes over him, and he just refuses to let him go. So mm-hmm. until that happens, I, you know, it, 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 it worries you. It really yes. does because they're, they're the Sixers are going to be forced into a situation where they're either going to have to accept what he is and keep this as a ceiling, or they're going to have to move on from him. And you know, I, I for one am glad I'm not the one that has to make that decision because <laughs> yeah, if the right package came along right now, I I might take it only solely mm-hmm. because we're in. He's got a couple years under his belt. And a couple of off seasons, and I don't know what he's working on other than a Kardashian during the off season. But, <laughs> you know, he's certainly or a Jenner, who Jen. knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that would be a very cool video. Hi, I'm Tom Green. I'm a Blake Griffin fan, and I'm Ryan Drinkwater, Philadelphia 76ers ticket holder, and we're going to show Ben Simmons how to shoot a three. <laughs> yeah, that'd be something else. <laughs> So spinning I to the. I wonder who would have a worse percentage, though, Tom. You <laughs> really just boil that down. We'll, we'll take as many jump shots as he took all last season, and we'll compare our field goal percentages. <laughs> yeah, to I see. Bet you, I bet you yours would be a, a slight bit higher than his at this point in time. There's <laughs> no knock against you, but that's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, and and I for one haven't haven't played pickup in a while, so <laughs> that's yeah. saying something. So spinning in the conversation to Detroit for a little bit, because we're a Philly and Detroit combination here, and I'll say about my Pistons at the trade deadline. That's about the time where I kind of started to write for last word, and then now I'm writing for the Scorecrow, if, you, if you've noticed my Twitter and stuff. Um, I had said in an article that Detroit has to make a decision in the on this trade deadline, and it... And it's because they were in the eighth seed at the time. And it the decision was win or tank. Now in the NBA we see we see this because of the lottery. Now the tanking was kind of debunked by New Orleans Pelicans winning the lottery and Zion Williamson feeling like he has been hit by a train. But my point was the eighth seed is the exact spot where you do not want to be in this NBA. Because look at how Detroit played in the playoffs. I was saying on Facebook and Twitter, that, uh, referring to a SpongeBob scene, is is this playoff basketball? No! This is Patrick! Because that's how it felt watching all four of those Pistons-Bucks games. And who knows what will happen. We have, a good, we have a good coach now in Dwayne Casey. We have, we have the coach. Now we just need the supporting cast along around Blake, or Andre, who knows if those two can and and they those two like those two like each other, but who knows if those two big men can play at the same time and generate a solid NBA playoff caliber team with that? Because you see, you see, Giannis is the big man in Milwaukee. Middleton's kind of the supporting cast, but he doesn't do a lot now because of the supporting cast with Miritich and the red the others. But in Detroit, Detroit has Detroit has to figure themselves out. At this point, eight seed is not where you want to be, and that's exactly where we ended up. Even though we had a long winning streak in March, any thoughts on that, Ryan? <laughs> well, I think you know four games showed it. You know, there's quite a bit of room between where Detroit is as a basketball team and where the upper echelon of the East is. Um, they got a lot to do. 
Let's put it that way. I don't know. There hasn't been a big pair, a big man pairing like Blake and Andre that's actually worked and panned out in the playoffs. Probably, I don't even know. Probably since David Robinson and Tim Duncan were quote unquote the two big Eiffel Towers. The games changed, and you know, as part of being in today's NBA, your four and five have to be athletic, be able to run the floor, be able to shoot the three. And, you know, Blake has the ability to do some of those things, but Andre, not so much. I mean, Andre's a defensive juggernaut. He's a beast when it comes to grabbing rebounds and blocking shots. And he's actually got a little bit of a jumper, but I don't think it's anything that's going to carry in the success when you have to go against, again, those those teams that star guys like Giannis at four, and, you know, even like Golden State, they got Draymond Green, a guy that plays power forward. And he can stretch the floor. He can guard one through five pretty much. But I agree with you. I do like Dwayne Casey. I think he's a great coach. He's going to have that team going in the right direction. But they, they definitely have to figure out what their identity is and hold true to it. Because when you look at Milwaukee, Toronto, obviously, Boston even, whether or not Kyrie stays or goes, um, a team like New York, if they end up getting a guy like Kevin Durant, Atlanta with Trey Young, and they, they've come quite a far away, and you know, only one season with him there. You know, there's there's a lot of teams in the East that can give you problems, and I don't really know as far as what depth Detroit has, and if they have the ability to package any kind of players with their draft pick to move up, but. I think that would be something they might look into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not quite sure what their cap space is like and what that will allow them to do this free agency. That'd be something I think you could tell everybody. Yeah, Blake's Blake's contract really took a cap hit. I don't really have the numbers in front of me right now, but Blake's con that's that was one of the downfalls of trading for Blake Griffin was the cap hit over the course of a few years. So this will definitely be an interesting offseason as far as that. And like you said, Detroit Detroit has to find an identity, whether it's trade Andre for a package or perhaps trade the draft pick and move up. It's This will be an offseason that will be very interesting for Detroit. And, of course, as an aside, all-Star Game three-point contest. Andre Drummond versus Ben Simmons. Let's see who makes a three first. Oh, my God. We'd be sitting there for two years. <laughs> we, we need Actually, to con- I don't know. I think Andre Drummond shot. I, I don't know. He's got a pretty solid jump shot. And I think this year, more especially, he added the three-point shot to his um, offensive arsenal. So, I think... He'd probably hit three out of ten, four out of ten, and I think Ben would probably—I don't know, because I, I think he'd probably call out sick or something right before the competition <laughs> started. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and uh, another aside, let's see. A, a couple years back, before I had really gotten serious with the podcast, I had actually tweeted, and I quote: "It's as cold as at Andre Drummond from the free throw line out here." <laughs> On a winter day. <laughs> Tell yeah, you have that, some. That always puzzled me. The fact that the guy can shoot. He's even got a nice, you know, mid-range jump shot. The fact that his free throw percentage is as low as Shaq's at times. is uh, that, That's something that always puzzled me as far as. Uh, it's not just Andre Drummond. It's NBA players in general. They can shoot jump shots and knock down threes, but they still struggle at the free throw line. It, it, it puzzles me. I'll never forget when Kevin McHale called the Hackadre and had a guy, I forget who his name was, but had a guy from the Rockets come in and follow Andre Drummond five times in the start of the third quarter just so that he'd go to the free throw line. Yeah, well, we've dealt with that in Philly, too. They, they were hacking Ben Simmons quite a bit to make him shoot free throws as well. So mm-hmm. I feel your pain. Oh, yeah. So speaking back to the NBA Finals here, we talked about Dwayne Casey a little bit. And I'll say that sometimes in life, when something happens to us, and very seriously, we need a nurse to console us and help us heal. Uh, Well, in Toronto, they called upon another nurse. His name is Nick Nurse to heal the pain from LeBron. 
And with LeBron going to the Lakers, he fixed Toronto as such. They're in the NBA Finals, facing a Golden State team that almost everybody outside, or almost everybody in America, thinks will win the NBA Finals. But you have a country against what people say is a snake. But the snake will at least be sitting game one and perhaps game two. So I ask, no KD, no problem? I think no KD, huge problem for Golden State. Alrighty, and um, so starting... Uh, I'll tell you why, Tom. Sure. Because I don't even know if Kevin Durant... There's nothing that I've seen, and I've watched enough ESPN, I've read enough articles, I've scoured the internet trying to get more information about KD and his calf. And there's nothing that I've seen or anybody else has seen that leads me to believe Kevin Durant is even going to suit up for for this series. And if he does, I don't think it'll be till... Possibly game three, game four. By that point in time, depending on how the series is even going, it might not be worth him risking it. You know, if that calf is as serious as some reports are out there saying that it could be, look, KD's looking at it, probably his last big offseason of his career. So for him to jeopardize that in any way, I don't think he would. He's shown what type of player he is, what type of man he is, and. Again, if there's anything that's going to jeopardize his future, I don't see him risking it. So I think there's a really good chance that you don't even see Kevin Durant in this NBA Finals. Yeah, my thoughts about the situation is I had actually read a tweet from um, the leader of the scorecroach, John Leepor. They call him Johnny Black on Twitter, at JBall0202. He had tweeted out something that um, Katie was not going to want to travel in this series to to risk to avoid risking blood clots in that calf because if you get a blood clot in a strained calf you might be looking for a new calf if said surgery is possible (laughs) so we will definitely not see kd for games one or two as far as the series we'll have to check back early next week to see if kevin durant comes back if he does not come back for game three he will not play this series. And as for the team, uh, Draymond Green has really taken KD's role, and despite him not being KD, of course, he has taken back his role on the team pre-KD. If we saw the stat, if we see the stat lines and assists, rebounds, etc., because Draymond Draymond was the force of this team before Kate. Well, the the inside force of the team, I'll say, before KD showed up. And now that Draymond and KD are riveting, very, very possible that KD is not a warrior next year. And I fe- in fact, most of NBA Twitter ourselves included believe such. But this is going to be a dream. Uh, basically, the MVP of the Warriors that's not going to be talked about is either going to be KD or Draymond. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that. You know, Draymond Green, first of all, he's a monster. He's a guy that you absolutely hate if you watch him and you play against him if he's not on your team. Um, but he does everything. He's the motor. He's the he's what keeps Golden State going. You know, he's a power forward that can play pretty much every position. He can handle the ball like a guard. He can pass and distribute like a guard. Rebound defensively. He can lock down. You know, one of your best players, his jump shots there, he's, you know, his his grit, the way he plays with that physical style takes Golden State to a different level, especially when they're at home. So I think with Kevin Durant being out, not only does Draymond Green need to step up and keep playing as well as he has, especially in the last series against Portland, um, but he's going to have to do it, even, I think, a little bit more because you got DeMarcus Cousins, who's kind of in that same situation as Kevin Durant is. His health is better. He's there. But, you know, Steve Kerr said it best. He's healthy and he can play. It's just a matter of how far along in the season they are. They're in the middle of an NBA Finals, and 
trying to figure out a way to get him in the rotation or caught up to speed is going to be really challenging. So you might not see too much booking in this series, if not any at all. Um, so Draymond needs to do what Draymond does, and that is be the catalyst and do everything, all the little things that help Golden State be as successful as they have been. Yes, and that's another good point is that Boogie Boogie was basically signed to a one-year deal, and if I'm correct, Steve Kerr may have said this, oh, yeah, we're just getting him some championship experience so that he can go to another team. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> it depends on what he wants to do. Uh, you know, his health is first and foremost the most important thing, and if he's not healthy or if he's a guy that now has major injury after injury, He's not going to have too much of a market in free agency, so I don't know if it's. It might be a little fast to say he's one and done with Golden State, especially if Kev, with Kevin Durant leaving. You know, I could see Boogie coming back and and having another run with them guys, but his health is is serious right now. I mean, he he just cannot stay healthy, and it's it's one injury after another. So uh, you know, I feel for a guy like that as an NBA fan. Demarcus is one of the better. That most talented bigs that the, the league has when he's healthy, um, but unfortunately he hasn't been. So we'll just have to wait and see. Definitely. So uh, my my official answer to no KD no problem is depends on how Draymond plays. If Draymond plays like the force steady that, that he has been, I have to, I honestly say no problem. But if he struggles and or kicks someone in the groin and gets suspended. Big problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, that side of Draymond hasn't been out as much in this postseason, but you know it's there. So Toronto plays, let me tell you, it was one of the most aggravating things to watch during that Sixers series was how gritty, tough of a defensive team that Toronto is. But with that being said, they also play a little dirty. So, you know, you're going to see some skirmishes with the big guys. So I can guarantee you that with Marcus all, you know, that punk flopper of the year, Kyle Lowry, I could see him mixing it up with Draymond quite a few times. So that, that's something to keep an eye on. And of course, as a, because you're a Philly fan, you mentioned gritty. I, I, my, I, I, my, I just about sank. Cause I looked at, I just saw that image. And I thought, Oh my God, gritty. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Quite the sight, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so another, um, another aside that I'll ask you is that I had this conversation with a couple of my coworkers. One of them actually getting on the show, Spiro, um, Marcus Saul, when he was traded to Toronto. I, right. I watched one of the first games that Toronto played post uh, post trade, and I and I and I had to do a double take because I thought Marcus Saul looked a lot like Jonas Valanciunas. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, somewhat. Mark has a more extended range in his ability to shoot the basketball. He definitely can pass the basketball better than Jonas Valchunas ever could. But I, I could see the comparisons. Um, but let me tell you right now, a guy like Marcus Gasol, he's not going to have any impact in this NBA Finals whatsoever. It's going to be tough for him to get significant minutes against a team like Golden State because of the matchup problems he would give Toronto. You know, he has, he, he cannot switch on pick and rolls and keep up with the speed and the pace that Golden State plays with. Golden State's bigs are way too athletic, way too fast, and can stretch the floor. So I, I think kind of like what happened with Boban here in Philly during the playoffs. I miss the limit, Boban. The limited minutes. <laughs> will be there for Marcus Saul. I do too. And he's quite the character, but <laughs> as far as basketball goes, I you know, I could I could do without Boban. But he can stay for for comedic reasons. Oh yes. <laughs> as you, as you know from the show, I'm pretty good at comedic <laughs> comedic impact on the program. So, uh, we'll ask how does Toronto win this NBA finals? Well, I think first and foremost, Kawhi Leonard has to continue this run that he's been on, which is unlike anything I've really seen in quite some time. Um, he's putting himself in a position that a lot of people are comparing him to 
how LeBron made his runs, how even Michael Jordan made his runs, the, the clutch time points that this guy's having right now in this postseason is is nothing short of remarkable. Um, so if Kawhi stays at that level, Toronto's going to be tough to beat, but the supporting cast also needs to step up big time like they did, especially in the latter part of the series against Philly and how they handled everything in Milwaukee. Guys like Fred Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry was solid. Pascal Siakam has pretty much proven that he's the next all-star candidate coming out of the East. Um, he's taken leaps in his overall improvement. You know, for, if you compare it to last season, you know, they got guys like Danny Green on that team who have championship experience. The pedigree is in them. Uh, so they, they're all going to have to step up and play that Detroit-style basketball, which is, like I referenced before, that tough, hard-nosed, you know, lockdown defense. They really know how to take the best player on whoever they're playing against that night and figure out a way to limit them and make them work extra hard. So Golden State probably coming into this thing with high confidence, you know, Five five times in a row now they've been in the NBA Finals. So I don't want them to be too overconfident because Toronto's coming and they're going to put up a good fight. And if Kawhi continues to do what he's been doing and that's all the secondary pieces on that team step up and play like they have, this could be a really interesting series. Definitely. And as for my answer to that question, um, people have always talked about Golden State. Being LeBron's nemesis, when in reality, it's been Kawhi Leonard. Each time LeBron has faced Kawhi in the NBA Finals, with the exception of 2013, which was pure luck, Kawhi has found a way to win. And Kawhi has done basically the same thing without LeBron in the playoffs, of course, in the East. Imagine if LeBron was still in the East with Kawhi in Toronto. That would have been quite the Eastern Conference Finals, assuming LeBron's team, whether it's Cleveland or someone else, would have made it. That would have been quite the Eastern Conference Finals. So Kawhi has definitely proven his presence in the East and could very well be the difference for Toronto in this series. As an aside, if we have Kawhi, uh, Pascal Siakam, Chris Bosh, uh, Bismack Biombo. On the, on the starting lineup for old Raptors, you'd have four guys that, that look like actual Raptors. And then you'd have Fred Van Vliet to tail, to tail off as a starting lineup as the tour guide or the or the dinosaur herder. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> look, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, is, uh, he seriously put himself in the conversation of best overall player in the NBA. And I don't think that's an understatement. There hasn't been too many games that I was able to closely watch because during the regular season, Kawhi was limited. You know, he only he was on low management all season, so I didn't get to catch too many actual games from start to finish with Kawhi. But during that series against the Sixers, I don't think I again I haven't seen a guy offensively. I didn't realize his game was that evolved. He could shoot the basketball from anywhere, and he's great at making his own shot creating his own shot and taking high percentage shots. The rate that he was shooting against the Sixers was absurd. There were times where it felt like a full quarter would go by where he wouldn't miss. And then the other side is his defensive ability is even better than his offensive ability. You look at what he did with Giannis against, you know, the Bucks in that last round, it was something else. He literally took their best player out of the game for crucial three, four, five-minute runs in games where Toronto would just roll over them. And, you know, it's it's going to be amazing to see who they really zero him in on. Now that Kevin Durant more than likely is not going to play during the series, at least for the first two games, you would think that Kawhi would see a lot of matchups with Steph Curry or maybe even Draymond Green. So... I mean, as, as far as basketball goes, I'm excited to see the matchups that this series will present. And, um, you know, uh, part of me is rooting for Kawhi. I hope that they can dethrone this Warrior team, even though it would be bittersweet for me. 
the run that Kawhi has been on, I think, is incredible. And to to cap it off with an NBA championship and dethroning the juggernaut that is the Golden State Warriors would be would be great for the NBA and for NBA fans, I think, as as well. Yeah, and Kawhi was doing this to LeBron back in San Antonio, but like I had said, nobody was watching. Now that they now that they have separated pretty much diff, different conferences, it, now we see what Kawhi has really done defensively. He's been the defensive player of the year a couple times for a reason, and now we're seeing it. So now we we flip the switch. How does Golden State win a fourth NBA title in five years? Well, I think it starts with Steph Curry. I mean, he's favored right now to be the Finals MVP, and I think that's – I don't think that's unrealistic. You know, in order for them to win this series, especially with no Kevin Durant, more than likely, and very limited, if not – you know, again, not available to Marcus Cousins, Steph's going to have to bring his A game. And there's not too many guys that can – can do what Steph can do. And if he can elevate his game and get this team to, you know, the way that they played prior to when Kevin Durant was there, you know, their record without him is actually pretty decent. So when you lose a guy like that, you probably think, wow, it's going to be tough for Golden State to overcome. But, you know, Clay Thompson is amazing. He's another guy that reminds me of Kawhi in the sense that he can, lock down your best player and he can impact the game offensively, you know, in a blink of an eye. But the supporting cast is what's going to have to step up the most for Golden State. I think Draymond will be Draymond. Steph's going to get his numbers. Clay's going to get his numbers. But the other guys, you know, the health of Iguodala, is he ready? Is he going to be what he's been for them, which at one point in time was the MVP of the finals you know can he make the impact for that team can the bench guys step up and provide crucial minutes for the absence of Kevin Durant you know if those things happen they're going to be tough to beat but you know top to bottom I think Toronto is the more solid team right now but you know Steph Curry he can go off for 50 any given night. We all know that. So if he if he's playing at the level that he was when he won the MVP, I think that probably gives Golden State a realistic chance of winning yet another NBA Finals. Yeah, and I would definitely have to agree with that. It's 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 not so much Steph and Clay because you you never know when they'll go off, but it's the supporting cast versus Kawhi as well because. If you think about it, Kawhi is probably going to shut down one of Steph, Draymond, or Clay. It's up to the supporting cast to fill that void, especially with Kevin Durant perhaps missing the entire NBA Finals to see what Golden State can do. But if one if, if one of Steph, Clay, or Draymond gets on a roll, you, you just never know, and the supporting cast can really help with that. So... Um, and I think sure. not to interrupt you, Tom, but no, go ahead. one of the biggest things for Golden State is they cannot let this become a half-court series. And by that, yes. I mean they have to be able to get over them. That's the only chance I think they really have to make this a, a more competitive series. If you get into a half-court basketball game with Toronto, you're going to lose. You know, they got to get out and run the floor. They have to hit that fast break quick. You know, five, six, seven ticks into the shot clock, throwing up the threes. You know, Draymond in the open court making the the correct passes gives Golden State the best chance. Half court, if they if they play a half court game against a team like Toronto, it's really going to present big problems for them. Definitely, and that's a very good point. Half court game means perhaps a Toronto victory. Playing half court, playing half court basketball with Drake. <laughs> when that hotline bling, usually Drake wins. At least he yeah. has been now. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, we that which brings us to our finals predictions. You've kind of hinted that you might go the other way from what the media has been saying and NBA Twitter. But what is your NBA finals prediction? Well, 
Oh, man. Uh, let's see. I think I will go with the Warriors and seven. Interesting. My heart is telling me Toronto is going to find a way to pull it out, but my head is telling me that Golden State, even without Kevin Durant, is just too good, and they will find a way to get it done. Very interesting. So, for my prediction, if KD were playing, I think Golden State wins this series in five, and it's because Golden State, for some reason has had a knack of closing out series on the road. Almost every time they've had a chance to close out a series at home, they've lost. Let's look at 2016, for example. They had a, two chances to close out the series at home. They lost both times. And, of course, Game 6 they lost, as we, we, we all know. Warriors blew the 3-1 lead, as nobody on NBA Twitter will ever forget. So with that being said... I am also going to go Warriors in seven without with or actually with or without KD. I think Toronto makes this a very interesting series and perhaps steals a game in at Golden State. But I also think Golden State will, of course, steal a game in Toronto. So if you're if you're watching the series for free tacos, congratulations! We will all be getting a free nacho cheese loco taco at your select. Taco Well from 2 to 6 p.m. on June whatever they whatever they say. So Taco Bell point Taco Bell shameless plug there. <laughs> but I do yeah, think I don't know how much this factors into anybody's predictions, but this <laughs> year alone, Golden State they lost both matchups against Toronto. Very good point. In November they went into overtime and Toronto won 131 to 128, albeit that first game, Steph Curry didn't play in. The second time they matched up in December, they won 113 to 93. And the best part about that is that game was in Golden State. Golden State had everybody in their starting lineup, and the Toronto Raptors did not have Kawhi Leonard playing that night and still found a way to go into Oracle. And beat Golden State. So I know it's the regular season. Those matchups were early in the season. But, you know, let's not act like Toronto hasn't proven that they can go in and beat Golden State, even without their best player. That's very true. Some people argue that, oh, it's just the middle of the regular season. Golden State was resting starters. Well, like you had said, Golden State had their entire starting lineup. Toronto was not close yeah, the second to game they had them. The first game, Curry was out. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that was a little different. Kawhi was playing in the first game. Curry wasn't. The second game, Golden State was fully assembled, albeit they were still trying to find their niche. They were struggling in the earlier part of this year. But Kawhi Leonard didn't even lace up for that game. And, again, that was in Oracle. And no matter what it is, the first game of the year in the playoffs, playing in Oracle on the road is probably one of the tougher feats in the NBA. So let's not discredit the fact that Toronto has already proven that they can go in there and win because, trust me, Nick Nurse is pointing those two wins out to them boys right now, letting them know that, yes, it is possible. Just like a nurse points to, points to someone's medication and says – Take this. Nick Nurse is pointing to those two wins and said, see this? We can do this. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you're if if you're rooting for Golden State or haven't watched a lot of the NBA and think, oh, they're not playing LeBron, so Golden State's going to roll them. Um, in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's going to be a very competitive series. And, you know, with or without Kevin Durant, I still think it's a long series. I don't think either team has enough to put the team, to put the other team away that easily. I think it's going to be a hard-fought, you know, dragged-out series. But ultimately, I'll give the nod to the team that has a little bit more experience finals-wise than Toronto does in Golden State. Definitely. So we both think Warriors in seven. And then so so the last um, NBA related question I will ask you is are the Warriors a dynasty? 
No, I mean, absolutely. As much as it pains me to say it, I was one of the, I hated it. Everybody hated the idea of <laughs> Kevin Durant going there and, you know, them doing what they've done. But it's it's still a remarkable feat. The fact that they've played in five consecutive NBA finals, um, that makes you a dynasty in itself. They've ruled the entire Western Conference and NBA for five seasons now. So if they go on and win this one, especially with the question marks of the, you know, the health of two of their biggest players, if they can find a way to come out and put another ring, it it, it makes them a dynasty if they aren't one already. Um, It's a different day in the NBA, you know, the talent teams up and so on and so forth. When you compare it to other eras like the nineties or the early two thousands, even but what they're doing is remarkable. And as a basketball fan, as much as it, it angers you to see it at times, you have to step back and appreciate the level of greatness and, you know, that they've been able to consistently have now for five plus seasons. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, as for my answer to that, I think the, the key, the key to a dynasty, at least in my opinion, is at least two straight titles in three and four seasons. Golden State has done exactly that, as well as gone to a fifth consecutive NBA Finals. So if it wasn't a dynasty yet, it certainly is. And for my criteria for a dynasty, they fulfilled that at the conclusion of last season. So I certainly feel that they are a dynasty. So very good conversation there about the topic of dynasty. So in that perspective... Um, this has been a good NBA Finals preview, and I will ask you for the last question of this show, is there anything else you have to add to this wonderful Tom Green podcast? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Tom, sure. I just want to say I enjoy listening to you. You always provide great content. It's been an honor of mine to come back and be on the show with you, and I'm looking forward to hopefully doing it more down the road. Definitely, and we've definitely had a good report, a great show as well. Two great shows now as we had a little Sixers-Pistons preview back in December as we broke down a lot of the a lot of the ins and outs of both teams as well as we did that at the start of the show as well. And, of course, an NBA Finals preview. So always good talking some NBA with our buddy at Philly's Finest Sports Network. He is a Philly fanatic, but he doesn't – but I, I assure you he does not look like the green – that green – Freak, freakishly looking guy that's always at Phillies games. <laughs> he is Ryan Drinkwater, and this has been the Tom Green Podcast.